So I'd like to read from John's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 1 and following. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him power over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We can just pause right there. Jesus is praying this prayer at the Last Supper. This is his high priestly prayer. It's one that I like to go back to often. Because Jesus is modeling for us how to pray to the Father. The way he prayed here at the Last Supper had to be very shocking to the apostles. He had already taught them the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, because they asked him to teach them how to pray. But this John chapter 17 is like a whole different level of intimacy with the Father that he was modeling for them, but not just for them, for us as well. Jesus, being the Son of the Father, knows the Father's heart and wants to reveal it to them, and and he wants to reveal it to each and every one of you this morning, more and more. He's talking about giving us eternal life, and that eternal life consists precisely in knowing the only true God and the one he sent. So Jesus is relating eternal life, which is related to happiness, you could say, and paradise, right? I think when we think of eternal life and when we hear Jesus talking about eternal life, we can understand that he's talking about heaven and paradise and happiness. Happiness. God wants us to be happy. God wants you to be happy. He wants to make you happy. The Father wanted to make us happy. He wanted to save us. He wanted to redeem us. He wanted to restore us. He wanted to reconcile us. How? Through Jesus. And together, they wanted to do that by sending the Spirit. But that is something I, I, I think is constantly under attack. That belief in God's goodness and in his desire to make us happy is something that the, the devil is constantly trying to undermine. Right from the beginning, if you think about it, the way he tempted Adam and Eve. He so doubts, a big doubt, I guess you could say, in the hearts of Adam and Eve. And that doubt was basically, God doesn't really want to make you happy. He's holding something back from you. 
You have to make yourselves happy. You have to be in control if you really want to be happy. What a lie. What a lie. But I think the devil tries to repeat that lie to each and every one of you in different ways. But it all comes back to that one fundamental lie that your good, good father doesn't want to make you happy because you're not good enough, because you don't deserve to be happy, because he doesn't care about you, because you've ruined God's plan for your life, whatever the lie might be. But it ultimately comes down to that. And that's why I put it right at the beginning of the prayer dare. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are very happy with me and that you really want to make me happy. I think it's important to renew that every day. And maybe you're saying to yourself, well, that doesn't really feel true to me. I don't really believe that, or I have a hard time believing that. We'll join the club, right? That's the struggle that we all have to engage in. That's where the healing begins. The healing of our relationship with the Father. Jesus wants us to have the same relationship with the Father that he has and that's why he was modeling for us how to pray and how to express our desires, especially our desires for happiness. Heavenly Father, Abba, I want you to make me happy. I want to entrust my happiness to you today. I want to renew that today. If you recall, not too long ago, we read from Luke's gospel how Jesus says, you know, which one of you would give your child a snake if he asked for an egg? Or, right? I mean, so if you who are evil know how to do good things for your children, how much more Will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? In other words, the relationship, the Holy Spirit facilitates the relationship with the Father. And the Father's desire is for us to have that beautiful relationship with Him, that intimate relationship with Him, that life-giving relationship with him. The prayer dare goes on. I believe that you have chosen me. I believe that God really wants to be my father and that he has high hopes for me today because he is with me like a mighty champion, as he told Jeremiah. So God wants to be your father. Again, that would be another lie. God doesn't really want to be your father anymore. 
He's sick and tired of you. <laughs> and maybe you heard that from your father or your mother at some point or some authority figure in your life that caused you to doubt in some way God's desire to be your father. But God, our father, has renewed his commitment to us over and over again. And he, he ratified that in a definitive way by sending his son. That's what we believe. God renewed it in different ways all throughout the history of salvation. Remember, the rainbow is actually a sign of the covenant that he gave. The Passover with Moses and the miracles that he worked was another renewal of his covenant. And every time we celebrate Mass, we are renewing that covenant. Remember the words of consecration that I pray. This is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. So every time we do this, every time we celebrate Mass, we are renewing, well, God is renewing his covenant with us. And we are offering ourselves, at least that's the intention, that's the intention of the church, that's what God would intend for us, is for us to renew our commitment with him and to him. But he does it first. He does it first. And we'll come back to that. Okay, let's continue with John's first letter. Chapter 4, where he talks about God is love. This is verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the expiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So John is reiterating here the fact that God loved us first. God took this initiative. As I like to say, God is the protagonist in our relationship. He's the one proposing to you, his bride. And he proposes to you each and every day. He says, come and follow me. 
And so I think it's good for us each and every day to renew our yes. It's a healthy thing for those of you who are married. You know, whether you do it out loud or in your own heart, to recommit yourself to your spouse, to your husbands. But as brides of the eternal bridegroom, it's good for all of you to renew your yes to your heavenly bridegroom, that you want to follow him, that you want to be his bride, that you really hope that he will be the one to make you truly happy. And we have to be realistic. It's not that he's going to make us perfectly happy on this side of heaven. But he can fulfill the deepest desires of your heart. And don't we all want somebody to make us happy? We want to know that somebody's out there that really lives to make us happy. And even in the best of marriages, you know, that's impossible because no man is perfect except for God, right? I'm going to go to Chicago tomorrow to celebrate a wedding mass for the daughter of a friend of mine. And I'm going to tell them what I always tell young couples. You know, I'll say, Tracy, don't think Danny's going to make you perfectly happy because he's not perfect. Danny, don't think Tracy's going to make you perfectly happy because she's not perfect. And especially for the brides, you know, Tracy, don't think you have to make him perfectly happy because you're not perfect. So don't put that pressure on yourselves. Don't put that pressure on your husbands or on your kids or anybody else. God wants to take that. God wants to take that. He wants to own your happiness. God wants to own your happiness. Does that mean that we're not going to suffer? Of course not, right? We definitely live in a valley of tears. The side of heaven, there's always going to be pain and suffering. We have to pass through death in order to be born again to eternal life. But even as we go through the midst of all of that, we have hope. We have a living hope. Jesus Christ is our living hope. And we can expect a victory. Adrian and I had a great conversation yesterday. And we were talking about the expectation of victory. At the end of our lives, God wants us to know that we can expect a victory. Even if we don't see it this side of heaven. But with faith and with this living hope, God wants us to know that we can expect this victory. And then even in our lives, we get glimpses of this ultimate victory. I was talking with a friend of mine last night who just saw the movie Unplanned for the first time. And that former Planned Parenthood clinic is now the headquarters for 40 Days for Life. 
Well, if that isn't a foreshadowing of the ultimate victory of Christ over the devil, I don't know what is. Talk about transformation. You know, talk about restoration. Talk about redemption. And that's for all of us to claim. You know, I, I just mentioned that it's good to renew your yes, your commitment to your bride, but it's also a good thing to claim your victory every day in Christ. That no matter what you face, you are assured of ultimate victory. That death, sickness, disease, sin doesn't have the final word. We have to remember that. We have to have that perspective. That's a really healthy perspective. Because let's face it, at times, especially right now, it seems like the enemy is like three touchdowns ahead of us and it's the fourth quarter, you know? And we're going to lose the game. But no, I think that's why we all love a come-from-behind victory so much. You know, if you think about it, if your team is down and you come from behind to win in the last seconds, you know, there's just something so invigorating about that. You know, like when the Green Bay Packers came from behind last year to beat the <laughs> Chicago Bears in the fourth quarter. Aaron Rodgers came out of the locker room after having been taken away on a stretcher. You know, it's like, wow, that's, yes. You know, it just gives us so much hope, you know. Okay, so that's a very mundane example. Yet, we can all identify with that. You know, maybe not the Green Bay Packers, but anyway. The fact is, we relish that. We relish that. Come from behind victory. And, and in a sense, it looks like we're behind right now. It looks like the good guys are losing right now, perhaps. Certainly, you know, the devil would have us believe that, that the good guys are losing and that we're going to lose. But we're not. We are not going to lose. In fact, we've already won. And that's why I, I say to you, claim your victory each and every day. Don't sweat the small stuff. John goes on, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his own spirit. Again, we have assurance we know because of what he has done. He has given us his own spirit. That promise, the promise of the Father. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. So he goes on to say here, so we know and believe the love God has for us. I mean, that's conviction. It just is oozing out of these verses. There's conviction there. How does John have this conviction? Well, because he's full of the Spirit. He witnessed Christ crucified. He was standing right there. And he saw just how dead he was. But then he saw him alive. Like never before. Like never before. Remember that. He saw him alive like never before. That's another great hope that we have. Some of you know that 
when my dad was dying, he asked me, so am I dead yet? You know, he was getting kind of confused. And I said, oh, no, dad. I said, when you're dead, you'll be more fully alive than you've ever been before. He just smiled. But again, that's a sure and certain hope that we have. That our lives will be transformed. So, you know, all of the things that we struggle with, this side of heaven, we won't have to struggle with anymore. And that's also hopeful, right? <laughs> all of the physical things that we suffer as we get older, we won't have to suffer them any longer. And for some of us, that's a great consolation, right? I mean, for my dad, who battled cancer literally half of his life, 37 years off and on. So you talk about relief, you talk about you know, having a great hope. And then, this is important to take to heart here. In this is love perfected with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world, that is, children of God. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and he who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. But it's not our perfect love. That's not what John's talking about. If you take it in context, he's just been explaining to us how he has come to know this perfect love. So as we come to know and experience for ourselves the perfect love of God, we are set free from our fears. So it's not that we have to somehow be perfect in our love in order for there to be no more fear. That's not what John is saying. It's the knowledge, it's the experience of God's perfect love for us that casts out all fear. There's a big difference, right? Because if we think we have to love perfectly in order to have no fear on the day of judgment, we're going to live our lives full of anxiety. It doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on you. And the third paragraph of the prayer dare speaks to this a little bit. Lord, I want to stop surviving and start thriving by the power of the Holy Spirit. Please come into my heart and help me to courageous, courageously face all my fears. Help me to reconstruct my worldview so that you will always be at the center of my universe and seated on the throne of my heart. Well, we just have to give him permission to be there and he will come. Again, it's not that we have to construct this beautiful throne and entice him. He wants to be there. He wants to be there. And so I will pause there. <laughs>